are listening to Radio Maria, and this is Father Toby with the Friar side. Um, and today we resume our reading of uh, Father Herbert McCabe's essay, Faith Within Reason, from the collection Faith Within Reason, asking the question, is belief wishful thinking? Um, and just to give a, a little recap, because I'm conscious the recap gets longer and longer each time we do this as we get further and further through the essay. Um, but just uh, the the last time we, we spoke, we were looking at the argument that though though sometimes we can't have complete certainty on the on the basis of of, of the facts, on the basis of of evidence. Yet, in fact, in certain circumstances, even with this being the case, we can say it's unreasonable to continue to hedge our bets. It's unreasonable um, not to be certain about this. And, and Father Herbert introduced the, the example in, in, in marital relations of a, of a man who's sort of constantly doubting the, the trustworthiness of his, of his wife and, and living in a suspicious fashion that even though we wouldn't be able to supply him with absolute proof that she had always been faithful and would always be in the future, because obviously it's impossible to, uh, to, to give somebody a guarantee of, uh, of future behavior. Nonetheless, despite this impossibility of, of certainty on, on evidence, nonetheless, Father Herbert um, suggests that a good friend would, would say to the, to the husband, come on, you're being unreasonable. You should trust her and you should act as if you trust her completely. Um, so let's, let's, and, and he, there's the one, the one final thing he says that, so that in, in this, there is not just, um, what's going on in, in our head through an analysis of the evidence, but there also has to be an, an act of the, the will, um, where actually we, we choose, um, to believe this way. Our, our will, um, takes us uh, sort of beyond and over the gap which the evidence might leave. And in many, many cases, um, the act of the will happens without us, without us thinking about it. Um, in many, many situations of, of human trust, we don't have to consciously make the act of the, the will. It can, be going, it can be going on without our being aware of it. But sometimes we do need to consciously um, make an act of the, the will. So let's resume with what uh, Father Herbert was saying just on that point. He says, we don't ordinarily need an effort of will to do things that are wishful. To love someone, for example, is clearly a matter of willing, but no effort is normally needed. Indeed, when we say we are willing to do so-and-so, we precisely mean that we will not need to force ourselves to do it. It seems to me that most of our opinions are wishful thinking in just this sense, not in the sense that we force ourselves to think such and such, but in the sense that we decide to think such and such, and life would be impossible without these wishful thinkings. It is because the uncertain man tends to disrupt social life that we think he is in a bad condition. Sometimes we think his bad condition is his own fault in which case we blame him. Sometimes we do not, in which case we merely try to cure him. So we can think of uh, examples there. Say the, the, the child who had um, grown, grown up and, uh, and had had their, their, 
their trust badly behaved on a on a number of different occasions and say they had gone from sort of one foster family to a to a, to another um you know always being told oh don't worry you know you'll 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 be you'll be safe and you'll be secure here now and then constantly being moved on that child would have reasonable grounds for um that struggling to struggling to trust as they as they got older and many amazing uh, foster parents and, uh, and adoptees deal with just this 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 situation whereby they have to they have to help in that in that child's um sort of healing and a, and a healing that comes about by by love and is only made possible over time you can't tell the child it's unreasonable for you to to feel this way the child has to learn to to love you and to trust you by being loved by you over a long period of time and by seeing you behave in a in a trustworthy trustworthy fashion but if you know somebody who has uh, experienced sort of you know security throughout their life has never been um badly be- betrayed never really been let down um consistently fails to trust people um then we would say to them you know you're being you're being unreasonable um and actually we would attach um some bl- blameworthiness to their to their behavior um so he says the um m- moving on from like having drawn the the distinction between sometimes not trusting is blameworthy and sometimes it's completely understandable um he he says that in in either case we can recognize that the person ought not to be in this state and he says the most example of this is the jealousy and mutual suspicion that can destroy a family, a society, or a particular personal relationship. We think of this as a bad thing and normally as a blameworthy thing. A man ought not to be constantly demanding proofs and employing private detectives. And he says that he instances these cases of human trust and human faith not as the same thing as divine faith, they're not, but simply to show how the will and responsibility, that is moral responsibility, does enter into belief. There are some things that we should believe in, other things that we shouldn't. And he says that there's a romantic myth that there's some kind of moral superiority about people who refuse to make up their minds because the evidence is not 100% compelling. As he says, we have, we've seen far too many people in our lifetimes who have insisted that we can't be absolutely sure that the Jews were persecuted in Germany, that apartheid was hideously unjust, that Catholics are persecuted in some places, and that prisoners are tortured in others. And he says that, you know, somebody who uh, disputes the, the Holocaust, we don't praise them for, ah, oh, they're a critical thinker. Um, you know, aren't they so good to be sort of detached and to question for themselves everything which society tells them? Rather, we think um, that actually such behavior in, in, in certain situations is morally reprehensible. Um, so then the, the question which we'll come to, to deal with after a piece of, of music, um, he says, if it is claimed that the will or wishfulness enters into belief, it's a fair question to ask, what is willed, what is wanted. If we blame people for not having a certain belief on the grounds of failure of their will, what is it that they have not wanted enough?
And we'll come back to that after uh, listening to uh, Adro Te Devote, um, that beautiful hymn of St. Thomas Aquinas, which uh, in, in numerous beautiful examples speaks of the, uh, of the nature of faith. Listening to Radio Maria, and this is Father Toby with the uh, Friarside, um, where we're currently, as we have through the last few weeks, been going through Father Herbert McCabe's um, essay, "Is Belief Wishful Thinking?" Examining the the nature of faith, and uh, just before we uh, listened to Adorote Devote, we were asking the the question about. What is what is going on in the in the will when we make an, an act of faith? Um, so let's just recap that. He says, if it is claimed that the will or wishfulness enters into belief, 
it is a fair question to ask, what is willed? What is wanted? If we blame people for not having a certain belief on the grounds of failure of their will, what is it then that we're saying that they have not wanted enough? And uh, and here again he goes back to uh, one of his favourite examples, that of the jealous husband. He says, The good esteem that others have of us is one of our possessions. We do a good deal of work to acquire it, and we are harmed if it is damaged. He says, it exists, of course, in other people's minds and may or may not be expressed in their behavior. To think ill of somebody is already to harm them, even if the thought is not made public. And he says, this must be so because there would be no harm in speaking ill of people unless it made others think ill of them. It's a really, really sort of important thought um, and to recognize actually that our, that our actions properly follow from what we, what we think about things. Um, so it's not making you not a gossip if you say to people, I'm just going to tell you this about this person, but promise you won't tell anyone else. No, you're a, you're a gossip when you do that. You're trashing the reputation of another and you're influencing the way that other people you know think, think about them. Um, and gossip uh, is something which... Pope Francis rightly talks about um, so much because it seems it seems to me to be um, you know a, a vice which so many people are just far too relaxed about. Um, uh, I was listening to an American priest um, speaking about the other day, and he said that at least um, he's an, an Episcopalian priest, and he said at least in the Episcopalian church um the vices of uh of of gossip and gluttony are just ones that you know most people don't care about they kind of laugh about it chuckle about it think oh it doesn't really matter um but they do matter and so the father Herbert goes on he says the jealous husband damages his wife's esteem in his own mind and he says he's likely to do more than this as a consequence so you know actions will follow from thoughts Nonetheless, even if actions don't follow, he harms her by the thought itself of not trusting her. And he says to love someone means to desire good for them and not harm. And hence we can say that suspicion and mistrust are opposed to love. And so we blame the jealous man because he does not sufficiently want the good of his wife. Just think about that. We blame the jealous man because he does not sufficiently want the good of his wife. Um, and the good of his, his wife also entails the way that other people think about her. Um, and first and foremost, um, the, the wife's husband. And so he says, the trouble with the unbeliever is the much more serious one that he does not sufficiently want the good of himself. Um, so to, to believe is is good for us. Jesus repeatedly talks about the necessity of the act of faith for salvation. So when we, when we fail to believe, um, we fail to, to do that, which is, which is most necessary for us on a, you know, we fail to make the act on which the rest of salvation hinges. As Father Herbert says, the good of one's wife is a relative and finite thing. It can be compared with other goods and it may have to be sacrificed for some other good. For example, 
He says a man might have to decide between allowing his wife to be shot and revealing secrets to the Gestapo. A man may find evidence so compelling that as a matter of intellectual honesty, he has to give up the good esteem of his wife. Of course, many of the things that are good for a man himself are also relative goods which may have to be sacrificed. A man's comfort and peace of mind, and for that matter his continued life, are all things he normally wants, but things that he may be sensibly that he may sensibly be prepared to give up for the sake of, the sake of greater goods. There is a hierarchy of goods in our life, um, and the problem is that all too often we sort of absolutize certain goods which are not ultimate goods. Um, and again, this Episcopalian priest who I was listening to, um, he said that it's not that sort of comfort is a is a bad thing, um, but when comfort is over-prioritized, it stops us from taking part in the, the acts of bravery, the acts of courage, the acts of self-sacrifice, which are necessary in order to be able to love. Um, so to enjoy comfort is not bad, but to make comfort a priority, well, that's a slippery slope. Um, and it doesn't matter, like things are not our ultimate good, uh, just sort of depending on what we decide is our ultimate good. Part of being a, a creature is to have received a, a nature in the same way that we can't decide um, about a, a cat that actually I want my cat to enjoy the things that a, that a dog enjoys um, and therefore I'm going to train my cat to, to do that. No, that's to, to sort of, it's to abuse, it's to abuse the cat um, and to, to decide that, that goods which are not actually our, our ultimate um, goods what well, that's to abuse the, the nature that we've been given. A man's or a woman's ultimate good is their own final happiness and it's absolute and it's that for the sake of which other relative goods can be sacrificed. And our perfect happiness, the church teaches us, as the scriptures teach us, um, is in seeing God and in experiencing union with him for eternity in heaven. Anything else will not satisfy. Um, so he says, people can refuse any good that you care to mention. There is no finite good that we as human beings are absolutely determined to want. Um, indeed, we regard it as a sign of mental illness when people seem to be able to refuse some particular good. Now he says, the central thing that a Christian believes is that God has intervened in his creation in such a way that we have a personal relationship with him. God has not merely created us, but has also spoken with us and revealed himself to us. It is the things that God has said about God that are the objects of faith. The way in which God has chosen to communicate his self-knowledge is by entering history and by giving to us in the scriptures an authentic interpretation of this. Now here for the, the first time, Father Herbert it, um, introduces a, a distinction. There is, there is the, the act of faith, um, there's the way by which we know, um, and there are the objects of faith, which are the things that we know because we have faith. Um, so we can just think about that very simply. We 
the act of faith is to trust God. And then the objects of faith are things which God then says in the same way that the, the act of the act of faith in um, when I tell you that uh, that books are half price at Waterstones today, they're not. So don't run out of your houses to go and get them. But the act of faith when when I tell you that is to trust me. What you then believe by faith is that books are half price in Waterstones. But as I said, um, they're not so far as I'm aware today. So stay indoors or wherever you are, stay listening to the radio. Um, we're going to um, hopefully um, finish finish this essay um, after another pause for some music. Um, we're going to listen to, to this time on the on the subject of faith um and given that today we we celebrate the the martyrdom of saint john southworth with uh we're going to listen to faith of our fathers listening to Radio Maria and this is Father Toby with the Friar side where we are discussing is belief 
wishful thinking. And we've been working our way through um, Father Herbert McCabe's essay of the same title, Is Belief Wishful Thinking? from the collection Faith Within Reason. Um, and we've just, before the, the music break, distinguished between the, the act of faith, the, the way by which we know, um, and uh, the objects of faith, um, that which we believe as a result of trusting in the person who tells us. And we've just spoken about the, the, act, of, the act of faith for the, for the Christian is to uh, is to trust in God and to trust that He has spoken into into history and revealed Himself and the uh, and what we what we believe um, are the the sort of the contents of the the scriptures and the tradition of the church. <clears throat> so Father Herbert continues. Now, since Christians believe that revelation is a matter of a personal relationship with God. They also believe that lack of faith is comparable with the neurotic suspicions of a jealous man. They say that as a result of what God has in fact done to the world, as a result of the incarnation, faith in God is normal in the sense that marital trust is normal. It is lack of faith that is the abnormal. But of course, all this is a matter of what the Christian believes Given that the world is as the Christian says it is, then faith is justifiable wishful thinking. The will enters into the thinking not to disrupt the intelligence, but to unite persons. Given that the world is the way the Christian says it is, the non-believer is like the man who refuses to accept the fact that his door is locked or the jealous husband always neurotically searching for an illusory final argument. He ought to believe and does not. But of course all this is not something that the non-believer can accept without becoming a believer. Non-believers can come to see that they ought to believe, but only by, but only by becoming believers. One could not first convince someone that they have a duty to believe, and then stand back and say, okay, go on, do it. One cannot can believe that one has a duty to believe, except by believing already. That's a, a little bit sort of complicated, but what he's, he's trying to sort of help us to understand is that the sort of, that the act of, of, of belief sort of changes, changes our in, entire worldview. And so for the believer, it's, it's unreasonable not to believe. Um, but the, the non-believer can't relate to it being sort of unreasonable not to believe because they don't yet believe. Um, and this helps us to explain sometimes like why we, why we struggle um, in, our, in our arguments with uh, not only sort of atheists, um, but agnostics. Um, and, and this is what I, I've spoken about in some other um, sort of word, word for today's. I've spoken about the, uh, the importance of, of worldviews um, and of realizing when we, when we enter into, into dialogue with one, one another um, that we make an, an effort to understand the, the worldview that another person has and the, and the worldview is our worldviews are formed of uh, lots of uh, presuppositions um, about the way the world is. 
and uh, and I would suggest that as Christians, actually, we, if especially if we're thinking Christians, then we've thought through a lot more of our worldview, and we have a much more coherent um, worldview. Uh, but what strikes me um, in some of the sort of the craziness that exists in contemporary society is that uh, that some of the worldviews that people have. Um, particularly around uh, contemporary attitudes to sort of gender and sexuality, that they can they contain sort of in, incompatible um, incompatible uh, presuppositions um, about the the nature of reality. Just to take one example, the idea that it's necessary to to have um, what for almost the entirety of human history is necessary to have. Um, female biology in order to be uh, a, a woman um, well that's uh, that's 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 one one presupposition of a worldview about the difference between men and women and then at the same time to say that whilst it's necessary to have a, a woman's body in order to be a woman um, that it is possible to be a woman without having a woman's body um, that's what sort of transgenderism and and, and gender gender dysphoria um, claims um, that I can be a woman without having a woman's body and yet it is necessary for me to have a woman's body in order to be a woman. We can see there are incompatible presuppositions going on here. Um, the Christian worldview is to my mind the, the most clearly thought through and coherent worldview. Um, but as Father Herbert is saying, um, there's a certain element of course you would think that because you're a Christian. And so he goes on to say that the positions of believers and non-believers are both in a certain sense self-justifying. If you think the creed is true, then you think it ought to be believed. If, on the other hand, you do not think it is true, you do not think it ought to be believed. And he says, notice here the difference between the creed and, say, a scientific truth. If you think that water boils at 100 degrees at normal pressure, it does not follow that you think it ought to be believed. You may not care. You may think people are the happier for not knowing this sinister truth. At the most, you think people who do not believe it are mistaken, not guilty. But just because faith is a matter of the good sort of wishful thinking, a matter of a personal relationship with God, it does follow from the fact that it is true that we ought to believe it. An interesting corollary is that though the believer thinks that the creed, because it is true, ought to be believed, the unbeliever does not necessarily think that, because of its falsehood, it ought to be disbelieved. In fact, unbelievers do usually think this. They usually do regard the creed as a dangerous and sinister and harmful piece of falsehood. But they may not. They might actually restrict themselves to the negative proposition that it is not the case that we ought to believe it. You know, so, for example, some people might think, oh, well, actually, there's no harm in believing in the creed um, if it consoles you and gives you some structure to your life, even if it's not true. Um, whereas the believer's position is that um, the creed being true, it is unreasonable not to, not to believe in it. Um, and so now we reach the, the final part of his essay where just in eight propositions... Um, he sums up what he's been trying to argue. The first proposition then is faith means thinking that some propositions are true 
as opposed to being false. And second, to hold a proposition to be true by faith is neither simply to hold that there are good reasons for accepting it, nor, on the other hand, is it something that has nothing whatever to do with reasons for holding the, the proposition. Third, wishful thinking in the bad sense means allowing your desires to influence you so that you think a bad argument is a good one. Wishful thinking in this sense has to do with arguments. If faith were a matter of accepting propositions on the basis of argument, it would simply be bad for it to be a matter of wishful thinking. But number four, faith involves being more certain about the truth of a proposition than is warranted by any arguments for it. And so five, given that the Christian's picture of the world is true, then this certainty is comparable to the certainty of a man to the certainty a man normally has of his wife's affections. That is, it is a certainty for which we do not demand or approve of evidence. Lack of certainty in faith is like unreasonable jealousy. And he says number six, this similarity is due to the fact that both are a matter of personal relationship and therefore involve will and decision, not necessarily an effort of the will. So seven, of course, all this is only plausible if Christians are right, if their picture of the world is true. It will not hold if their picture is true. And finally, number eight, non-believers may come to think that Christian beliefs are reasonable or plausible and remain unbelievers, but they cannot come to think that they ought to believe without ceasing to be unbelievers. So that's the uh, end of that essay, um, is, uh, is Belief Wishful Thinking by Father Herbert McCabe. I hope you've enjoyed it, even as, as it's uh, simultaneously uh, stretched your grey matter and that it, that it helps us to, to think um, more about our faith and, uh, and to help to under, un- explain to others that our, that our faith is, is not um, mere wishful thinking, um, but actually is a, is a reasonable thing to believe. And obviously our faith is, is, is grounded in our trust in Jesus. And so to, to close this program today before we pray the Angelus and go to the Mass at Walsingham, uh, we're going to listen to a setting um, of Jesus, I Trust in You, by the Basilica, the liturgical ensemble of the Basilica of the Holy Trinity in uh, Krakow, um, which is a priory of the Dominicans in Poland.
rejoice in your heart. 